Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 385th edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting in this our ninth year across the world from our studio in Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. And this is the place where technology meets entertainment. I spent the weekend in Vegas. It was great. Saw the Righteous Brothers and the Blue Man Group and Celine Dion. If you're an entertainment junkie like I am, you couldn't see three more diverse and brilliant shows. It was absolutely fantastic. So if you're heading to Vegas, I can recommend all three of those shows. They are brilliant. Now, Thomas Corley spent five years studying millionaires, and he gathered his insights in his book, Rich Habits, The Daily Success Habits of Wealthy Individuals. Now, many of the millionaires he interviewed were self-made, and he found that they largely described entrepreneurship as being intensely boring. But they stuck with it for three reasons. Firstly, they believed in themselves. Secondly, they were optimistic. And thirdly, they loved the work they were doing. And I think therein lies a big lesson for entrepreneurs. And when you think of successful entrepreneurs, what images immediately come to your mind? Do you see a really cool, dressed individual surrounded by jet-setting group of women and guys traveling from one exciting place to the next in private planes and boats and Lamborghinis? Or, more likely, do you see someone sitting all alone in their underwear, working behind a desk, got a computer and uh, Coca-Cola cans and potato chip packets at 5 a.m. in the morning? That's much more likely to be an entrepreneur. Now, in the Rich Studies, Rich Habits study, Corley interviewed 233 millionaires, 177 of them who were self-made, and they all earned at least three or four thousand dollars a week, and uh, had three and a half million dollars in assets. So, well, they're pretty well off average millionaires. He discovered that many self-made millionaire entrepreneurs found the journey towards success intensely boring, where absolutely nothing happens day to day despite their best efforts. For other entrepreneurs in the study, the journey felt like a slow walk through hell, a hell in which they were forced to overcome one hurdle after another, have one letdown after another, one disappointment after another, and just a constant stream of rejections. How many of you are signing up so far to be entrepreneurs? Not a lot, I wouldn't think. Now, many of the Rich Habits entrepreneurs found the journey very frustrating. Important people ignored their emails. Phone calls never got returned. Meetings always got cancelled at the last minute. In short, pain in the arse. 
the early stages of being an entrepreneur are like being stuck in a cave for years. And the outside's totally oblivious to your talents, your skills, your products, or your services. And maybe the worst part's knowing that with luck, everything could change in a heartbeat. But that luck never seems to come. So what keeps entrepreneurs in the game? Belief in themselves, eternal optimism, and love for the work they do. Now, successful entrepreneurs just believe that they're good enough or will become good enough someday to succeed. They're optimistic they will succeed and that the success will pay big dividends for them down the road. They also love the work they do, and that love of work, well, that drives them. That's the source of their energy, their motivation, and their enthusiasm. Despite the stifling nothingness or constant hardships that you endure along the way. So the next time you see an entrepreneur that's successful, don't envy their wealth. Just be impressed by the fact that they tried it at all and succeeded. Now bear in mind, 98 out of every 100 entrepreneurs fail. So... There you go. Now, do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? If you did, you'd be a millionaire. We now have about 1.7 million daily subscribers. It takes just 30 seconds to read every day. And each day we tackle a different subject from advances in medicine to new apps to new technology to subjects like Hyperloop, autonomous cars, blockchain, and a whole bunch of other subjects. Today's netter newsletter actually discusses how Gen Z is remaking how consumers and companies communicate. So if you're running any sort of a business, no matter what it is, learning more about Gen Z is essential reading. It's a real eye-opener, a good eye-opener. To keep abreast of all the new developments in business and technology, ensure that you can compete in this ever-competitive world where Hundreds of thousands of people are getting laid off every month. You must get the Bob Pritchard newsletter. Now, you simply go to my website. You should go to it anyway and have a look. It's Bob Pritchard, one word, dot com, and subscribe. And if you don't like what you see, you can uns- just tick the unsubscribe button and you're gone immediately. You don't have to, you know how some, you get some newsletters, you can't get off the bloody things. No matter what you do, you can't get rid of them. Well, ours is easy to get rid of if you don't want to get it anymore. But of course you will want to get it more because it's great. Now, these days, it takes more than a solid business plan for companies to succeed. Your company's mission, your values and your beliefs that connect you to the customer base and also now more importantly the community at large is critical. Among grocery retailers and food manufacturers that means healthier sustainable products and a commitment to improving the workplace, the environment, the communities which they serve and beyond. Essentially you've got to show that you're helping to make the world a better place. In today's world, 
it's not good enough for a company to sell a product or a service. Customers expect companies to take a position on social issues, environmental issues, in order to build their business and get their loyalty. Consumers are voicing their opinions, values and beliefs. They're scrutinising the actions of most organisations that they deal with and looking at their leadership and holding them accountable. They can readily see through inauthenticity and they just won't tolerate it. Consumer voices can change the financial trajectory of companies and they are. Accenture found that 63% of global consumers prefer to buy goods and services from companies that reflect their personal values and beliefs. And if you don't reflect their personal values and beliefs, they dump you. They won't do business with you. Additionally, Accenture found that 62% of consumers globally want companies that take a stand on social, cultural, environmental and political issues that they believe in. More importantly, 65% of consumers say their purchasing decisions are influenced by the words, values and actions of the company's leaders. So it's really critically important. And you look at the people who are doing really well, you know, the people like um, Tom's and Patagonia and whole swarms of them that are doing really well by doing good. Now, 76% of consumers worldwide are attracted to organisations that use good quality ingredients, non-GMO modified. 65% are attracted to companies that treat their employees well. And 62% of consumers believe in reducing plastics and improving the environment. Now, Albertsons, which is a major supermarket chain here in the US, their employee promise is to make every day a better day. That's a great tagline, I reckon. Make every day a better day. And that means being a good community partner and a committed steward of the environment. And listen to what they did last year. Last year, Albertson surpassed $1 billion in sales for USDA-certified organic products. They donated more than $250 million in food to local food banks, 250 million bucks, not small change, and they distributed 44.6 million in cash to support causes that impact customers' lives, including wildfire and hurricane disaster relief, veterans, charities, childhood hunger, um, cancer research, they also committed to operating zero waste manufacturing facilities, which means that 90% of waste is diverted from landfills. And this type of positive attitude to the community and the environment is being replicated very quickly right across America these days. <coughs> Excuse me. Often the financial bottom line, as you can imagine, and the environmental bottom line are in conflict. For example, the financial impact of going compost compostable is pretty significant and companies just have to make the decision as a business that their environmental bottom line 
is more important than the financial bottom line and budget accordingly. PCC, another US supermarket chain, stopped selling the enormously popular Chinook salmon because it's a critical food for the endangered orca population. So despite the huge popularity of the, sa- of the salmon, that decision was extremely well received by the supermarket customers. A Nielsen study showed 75% of millennials and Gen Zs are willing to pay extra for products with the reputation of environmental or social values. And the Natural Marketing Institute study found that 58% of consumers would be more likely to try a product if it has a positive impact on the environment or society. Consumers are also more interested than ever in aligning their personal values with the brands they buy, therefore raising the bar for for companies to clearly define and articulate their values. So, in short, every decision companies make in light of today's changing society must have an element of financial, environmental and social responsibilities and companies need to consider all three of them. My interviewed guest today is C. Lee Smith, a really interesting guy. What he doesn't know about selling isn't worth knowing. And he's the CEO and founder of Sales Fuel. And Selling Power magazine designated Lee as one of the country's foremost leaders on developing high-performing sales teams, sales discovery and needs analysis, sales coaching, hiring for sales culture and sales and sales management, as well as leadership. You know, every business starts and ends with a sale. If you don't have a sale, you don't have a business. So this is a must-listen-to interview by anyone that's in business. This is Bob Pritchard, and I'll be back with Lee in just a moment. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. We're over the past eight years and about 400 and something interviews. We've tried to give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most interesting business people. We talk about the services they provide. 
the challenges that they faced, how they overcame those challenges. And what we try to do at the end of the day is work out what it is that makes them tick. Around about 98% of all new businesses today fail. That's 98 out of every 100. So we want to learn all we can from the two out of 100 that managed to succeed. And the reality is that every entrepreneur, no matter what business they're in, they all face the same issues and the same challenges. And by listening to interviews like these and reading books, biographies, and autobiographies, we can find out what it is that makes those two out of every hundred a bit special. And we can go and emulate what they do and not make the mistakes that are so often made and are so easy to make. So no matter what business you're in, everything begins with a sale. It doesn't matter what you do. If somebody doesn't sell something, you can't afford to pay the receptionist to answer the phone. If somebody doesn't sell something, you don't need lawyers to sort out contract disputes. If somebody doesn't sell something, you don't need accountants to add up any money because there won't be any. And you can have a great product, but if you can't sell it to a potential investor or a distributor or a retailer or the consumer, you are doomed. And in my experience, most companies that I've dealt with do not appreciate that sales begins probably at the front desk with the person on the phone. Every single person in your organization is a salesperson. They should be selling your business. And they certainly have an impact on the image of your business. And uh, and I think that most companies that I've dealt with anyway don't really appreciate that. And in my experience, there's way too little emphasis on sales training. And often when it is, it's only the, the top gun salesmen that get the good training. And that really lets a company down. The other thing these days is that we, um, we've got access to so many data, that, so much data that tells us so much about our customer. And we also, an extra dimension today is that we've got to be in a position where we reflect the values of the potential customer. It's really interesting. I've been doing some research on a newsletter that I'm writing um, for tomorrow about Gen Z Zs and their um, 63% of Gen Zs will only deal with a company that reflects their values and believes in things that they believe in. And these are all part of sales training. Now, Sales Fuel was named one of the top 15 sales enablement vendors in 2019 by Selling Power. Now, if you're not familiar with Selling Power, it's sort of the industry Bible magazine. And uh, my guest today was named the winner of the sales enablement vendor 2019, and he also won a personal award. When he founded the company today's guest in 1989. That's a hell of a long time ago. That's 40 years ago. Yeah, 30 years ago. 30 years ago. Yeah, 30 years ago. 
my maths is not too good. Thank God I'm not a mathematician. And with a simple objective, sales are the revenue engine of your company and sales fuel provide that fuel. Through their unique portfolio of sales tools, training and intelligence, sales fuel provides thousands of sales teams nationwide with the power to sell smarter. And we often hear the term, you don't have to work harder, you have to work smarter. And it's the same in sales. Mm-hmm. Through their unique portfolio of sales tools, training and intelligence, sales fuel provides thousands of sales teams nationwide with the power to sell smarter. And this empowers teams from small, medium businesses to global enterprises and enables them to further value to their accounts, stand out from their competitors and attract a higher level of talent and clientele. So my guest today is C. Lee Smith. I don't know what the C stands for, but we might find out in a minute. And he's the CEO and founder of Sales Fuel and Selling Power, designating him as one of the country's foremost leaders on developing high-performance sales teams, sales discovery, needs analysis, sales coaching, hiring for sales culture, and sales management, as well as that all-important ingredient, leadership. Now, Lee's also a C-suite network advisor, and he's co-host of the popular Manage Smarter podcast, and uh, working with a good friend of mine. Hi, Lee. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You're being heard right across the world. Oh, thank you for having me, Bob. It's a pleasure to be with you. And like so many of your guests, it's like that's one hell of an introduction. <laughs> yeah. So what does um, what does the C stand for? Well, it can stand for coach as in sales fuel coach. It can stand for cash, but actually, no. It's uh, it's my dad's name. My dad, uh, you know, uh, found out that uh, my wife was pregnant with his first child, uh, just as he was uh, being shipped off to Vietnam. Uh, back in the 60s, and so I wasn't sure, like so many people, if he was going to return, so uh, they made a deal that uh, they were going to name uh, their first son, once they they found out it was going to be a boy, uh, after him, so he's the first, I'm the second, so my dad's name is is Cliff, and my name is Lee, and this way we know which one my mom was mad at whenever she would yell at us, we had to go by different names. (laughs) That makes sense. Well, I always know when when my mum used to be mad because she used to, I've always been known as Bob from when I was a youngster, and I always knew when I was in trouble when my mother said, Robert. Oh, yes. And all of a sudden. And the, and the full name is always trouble. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so everybody in, the, uh, in an organization needs to be on the same page and needs to be really rooting for the company and believing in the, com- in the company. So that comes from co- uh, your corporate culture, doesn't it? So how, how does corporate culture uh, impact your overall staff attitude and your sales performance? You know, there's like like you mentioned earlier. There's a lot of research over time that, that has been done on this. IBM's done a ton of research, and uh, and uh, you know Brian Tracy, the great Brian Tracy, quotes yep. that a lot and says that you know people perform at their at, at their very best when they feel really good about themselves. And then Google has done uh, done some studies recently on that uh, on the on the workplace, the 2020 workplace, and uh, pretty much have found this, you know, a lot of the same findings. And basically, I, I like to say that analogous to this. 
it's like there are crops that you can grow uh, in Southern California that 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 you can't grow in, in in Columbus, Ohio, where I'm from. Right. And you know, and and what's the difference between the two? Uh, you can take the same crop and it's like, well, it, it's it's one of two things. It's either uh, the environment in which it which is being grown in, or it's the gardener. Right. And you know, and 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 likewise, in a business scenario, then it's like uh, the environment is analogous to your culture. The gardener, in this case, is analogous to your direct manager. And like so many studies, whether they be done by Gallup or even on our own study of sales reps across the United States, we found that uh, nearly 50% of salespeople, when they leave an organization, they leave because of an issue with their direct manager, whether they don't believe in their direct manager or, you know, uh, they, they have issues with them or they feel like they're being treated unfairly or uh, just a wide variety of reasons, but they all tend to go back to that. Yeah. And also to that, uh, the, the number two on that list then is uh, lack of opportunities for advancement, which can also then be shaped somewhat by the direct manager. And the number three thing on that list is, again, they have an issue or conflict with the company's culture, mission, values. Right. Uh, it goes so much to what you were just talking about, Generation Z. Uh, very much, I mean, that, that is a generation that, uh, you know, they want to have a purpose, not just a paycheck. And so uh, it's very important to them and, and to the younger generations coming up, particularly in, in the sales game, where you know, sales is not and, and should not be uh, what you think of, like when you go buy a timeshare or used car or anything like that. There's no high pressure. There's no Glenn, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, you know, ABC yeah. always be closing without Alec Baldwin. There's none of that. Uh, with the younger generation, it really is all about helping people. And helping people achieve their goals and overcome their problems, and uh, you know, and, but they have to have a purpose uh, in mind for doing that. And and why do I do I want to help these particular type of people to achieve what they want to achieve? Do is that something I believe in? Yeah. So when you put all that together, then the number one job or one of the top jobs of a of a sales manager is is to really be cognizant of creating a winning sales culture and to do that the manager has to know what the sales culture actually is and so we put together 52 different metrics uh, that go into the sales culture whether it be about how the sales team thinks about each other their, the team how they think about their direct manager and how they feel about the company and their belief in the products and services and the mission of, of the company and whether or not that's being upheld or not and you have to start there with measuring it and then you have to uh, really roll up the sleeves and, and commit to doing some hard work and taking a good hard look at uh, you know what we're doing either as a company or as a manager uh, and to address those things uh, and to do it in a very public way so you can say you told us this and so we heard you and so we met and we're, here's what we're doing about it yeah. and then here's what we, and here's what we've done about it and here's thing, how things are going to change again for the future and when you do that in a very public way and you know you don't just give lip service to it but you actually take action on it that that's visible uh, and evident, uh, you, you can really uh, do a lot to change your culture. But one thing I will caution you on, Bob, though, that your culture didn't get screwed up overnight, and it's not going to get fixed overnight either. So it's going, to be, it's going to be a long, arduous process, and you really have to commit to it. Yeah. One of the interesting things now, obviously, I'm an old, I'm an old school guy, and uh, back in the day when you used to, once you got the d door open, you'd slam your foot in it and keep your foot there until you talk the other person to death. Um, however, I've, I've always been successful by, um, well, I'll do it the other way. I'm amazed how many salespeople go into a meeting 
knowing very little about the person mm. that they're speaking to. Before I go into a meeting, I always know how old they are, what school they went to, whether they're married, whether they got kids, what their sports are, and try to use social media to find out as much as I can before I begin the conversation. Um, so when you walk in, at least you, you can pick up on trigger points that develop a, an empathy with the person you're selling to. But I find so many salespeople just sort of, well, I've got, got a good mouth and I can think of what I'm going to say on my feet, so in I go and I'll fire from the hip. And that doesn't work that well. Hmm. You know, that sounds very similar to uh, people want to Google this. The Harvey McKay 66, and he believed that there were 66 things you should know about every prospect uh, before you actually attempt to, to make a sales call on them. Mm. And, that in, and some of those are, are a bit dated because, like, we don't ask people about their religion much anymore. Uh, but nonetheless, though, it's still important to understand, you know, their families and their pets and their children because those are the things that really motivate people and the things that really drive people. So my company got its start uh, in the discovery process. We are, we're experts in the discovery process of sales. And we find that so many people then that they have trouble closing Closing a sale, it's because they they shortchange, they shortcut the, the discovery process where they really have to, you know, shut their mouths, you know, ask intelligent questions, do a little research up front so they can ask intelligent questions, shut their mouths, listen, and ask good follow-up questions so that they can actually get to the root of, you know, what's really important then to the buyer. What what are they trying to accomplish? What are they trying to achieve? Or, you know, what type of problem are they trying to overcome? And you know, when you have a better understanding of that, you did, you have leverage then that you can take into trying to solve their problems. It doesn't necessarily mean that you've got the product that's going to solve a problem or it's going to help them achieve a goal. Maybe you don't. Uh, matter of fact, for that reason, it's like you know, you'll have a hell of a lot more respect as a salesperson if you sure. actually admit that up front. Yeah. But uh, you know, that gives you real a real leg up and gives you leverage that you need to be able to close. And so that's how my company got its start 30 years ago. And we have some of the largest media companies and ad agencies, uh, you know, across the country, uh, you know, using our discovery uh, product then for better understanding uh, their client, which are which are small to medium sized businesses in, in in their local markets. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I learned though, Bob. Is that uh, you know? There's another type of intelligence though that that's very very important, which is managers have to also have to do the same kind of discovery on their employees, their sales team, yep. and understand each rep and understand those 66 things that you mentioned plus a few more, then to be able to effectively manage them, to be able to develop them, to coach them, and you know, uh, again, just as, as sales reps will sometimes not even bother looking at the website you know, of a business before they go and call on them, which is a cardinal sin. Uh, we have managers then that also, you know, don't really take the time to get to know their employees as people, what's important to them and, you know, what they're good at, what they're not good at, and uh, how on earth are you, should, would you expect to manage them? And they just, they just want to manage by numbers and, and by actions that they see in a CRM, and that's just not going to cut it these days. Yeah. I always uh, used to say to my team, um, first thing you should always do is look at the um, your competitors' websites because it's amazing what people accidentally put up on the website <laughs> and it usually doesn't stay there very long but it, it, it's amazing what um, intel you can get from from a website. Um, another point that struck me when you when you were speaking just then, the, the religion thing, I know you can't ask religion questions about religion but if you can find out it's very handy. I've had um, a couple of clients, individual clients, who were 
I'm just picking one off uh, off the top of my head, but doesn't, it's not solely for that. But um, who was a Jewish client, mm-hmm. and they used to really get pissed off when people would send them a Christmas card, and they'd say, if they don't care enough about me to understand, you know, what my beliefs are, then, you know, I don't want to do business with them. The Christmas ham was a big mistake. Yeah, and I've had a, I've had a couple of those. So it's always handy if you can to find out what religion you are. I wouldn't come straight out and ask, but there are ways to find out these days. And also with your employees, it's important to know that as well because, you know, it really starts with your personal philosophy. And sometimes your philosophy is grounded in the religion that you were kind of indoctrinated in as a kid. Yeah. And, you know, also why it's important, though, is like, you know, people have religious restrictions on their diet, for example. So, sure. you know, you, have to be, you, you want to be able to understand, you know, before you go and order lunch for everybody or suggest a restaurant or something like that that you know you need to understand who has what food allergies and, and also you know who has what dietary restrictions you know that, that, that might be bound from that but yeah it is a, it's a slippery slope it's a touchy subject yep. and it's just one of those things that I, I, I would encourage you that if you can pick it up just by listening you know, listening to them talk, but and not probe them or not kind of you know goad them into it or something like that. Uh, that could be very helpful, but it, but it's a very dangerous area though to be asking about. So sure I would is. always well, certainly recommend stay away from that. Yeah, what um, somebody walks into you're you're advertising for a, a sales guy for a company, and somebody mm-hmm. walks in and you know you've got ten people with all similar qualifications. What's the most important attributes that a good salesperson has somebody that can be trained. You know that that's a fantastic question, and one of the things that we do then to help uh, de- determine you know which way to go with that is we actually then don't you know we we, we listen that you know, we pay attention to half of what we hear and even less with our eyes. Mm. And uh, for us, it's like it's about data, and everything these days is, is data driven. People are using analytics as like whether it be you know uh, Billy Bean and the story of Moneyball with the, with the Oakland Athletics up the road, or yeah. uh, you know, or anything that you know any of the high tech companies are doing. In, uh, in Silicon Valley, uh, you know, we're doing the same thing here with with, with hiring, and the fact that we're you know, we're putting people through assessments to analyze their behavior, analyze their their, their motivation, uh, their aptitude in the area of sales, their aptitude with sales technology, and, and more importantly, we're also then taking a look to kind of see do they have any markers, for example, that might suggest that that, that they have the potential to be toxic. Uh, these days, a toxic employee, uh, especially to a smaller company, can can be devastating. Yeah. Uh, because you, the problem, you, and you can't get rid of it. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's it's not the easiest thing in the world to get rid of these days. So it's like it's, it, the best thing to do is to not to hire it. And so I, I like to tell people that uh, you know the best time to do discovery on, on a salesperson is before you hire them. The, the second best time is right now. Yeah. So if you've already hired them, it's like you still want to do it because you also need to know how, how to manage that person. So to answer your question, uh, Bob, I, I would simply say that uh, certainly you want to look for high communication skills. Certainly you want to look for integrity, always. Uh, but you, know, you also want to look for things like hustle. Uh, you want to look for confidence, obviously, and a big one, uh, and I can speak to this one directly, is resilience. And uh, I look at a couple of salespeople that, that I've hired o- over the years who 
on paper and during the interview looked like they should have just been gangbusters and, and they should have been superstars. And for some reason, they, they just didn't make it. And when I ran them through new mo- a new model that, that we developed in to take a look at their resiliency, you know, it was right there. It was when they're scoring uh, like down around the 20s on a scale of 0 to 100. And sure enough, we went back then through the CRM and we took a look at it and said, yeah, this is the person then that the, the first site of, of uh, adversity, they forwarded up their tent and they moved on to another prospect. When there was a deal there to, to, to be had, there was somebody there that we really could have helped. And we could have had a nice lifelong, uh, you know, customer because I know that we could have helped them and they would have appreciated it. They would have reordered from us. Yeah. And, but yet we gave up way too soon. And it's, it's that resiliency that, uh, you know, when you get knocked down, you have to get back up again. Or when you uh, get the door slammed in your face or you get, you know, pe- people ghost you online or uh, don't respond to emails or whatever. It's like, you know, it's like if you believe in your pro- product and yourself and your company and you believe you can help and you know enough that that belief is legitimate, uh, you've got the data to back that up, uh, you know, then you should keep trying, you know, without being pushy about it. Absolutely. Yeah. But we see too many people just give up on it. So resiliency is huge, I believe. Okay, so what's what's the what what's the most motivating thing to a sales guy? Um, is it money? Is it recognition? Is it what is it? You know, I don't, I don't believe it. You know, yeah, exactly. Because uh, you know, in my company, for example, my company, I have an entirely female sales staff, and they're okay. dynamite, and they're far more effective than the guys that I had here. But uh, uh, you know, it. For some, it's money. It, it, it is that. And, it's like, and, and the thing about the money thing is like salespeople have a number in their head. You know, it's one of the things that make t- good salespeople tick because they've got a number in their head about what they're worth or it's like if I can make that much money, I'll, I'll be happy. And the funny thing is like once they reach that number, then that number goes up. Or sometimes with the really good salespeople, that number is inflated and yet somehow they'll find a way to, to, to get it. Uh, the downside of that number is sometimes you get destination disease. So when, you, when you've reached that number, that's as good as they ever get. You know, so if they have in their head that, that their, their number is $150,000 a year or $200,000 a year, then they're not going to 250. It's yeah. like it's like that's what they think they're, they're worth and that's what makes them happy and, and, and that's the number. So I don't necessarily believe that it's the, the number because the number is a result. And uh, Jim Rohn, for example, once yeah. said that philosophy drives attitude, attitude drives actions. Actions drive results, and, and results drive lifestyles. So the salespeople like to hang out in, in, in the lifestyle land over there. Sales managers tend to manage toward actions and results that they get from the CRM. What sales manager really should be managing to is philosophy, their personal philosophy that we mentioned earlier. Sure. And there's also a sales philosophy that goes with that, and attitude. And the attitude is the positivity. And uh, do I trust my manager? Do I believe in my company do I, and myself? And uh, am I a lifelong learner? Do I believe in investing in myself that, that that's going to pay off down the road? And uh, it's, it's to do that, that, you have to take a look at what, really what motivates them. Uh, some people are motivated by justice. Some people are motivated by money. Some people are motivated by power. Some people are motivated by helping other, sacrificing for other people, uh, whether, you know, whether they're sure. need or not sometimes. And uh, some people are motivated by the opportunity to learn. And, you know, there are really seven different dimensions of, uh, of motivation. And, you know, it's, it's like a two-edged sword. Uh, it's like if, if you're in the middle, you really don't stand out. And it, or it's sort of like uh, uh, political wings. If, you, if you're too far on, on fringes of the left wing or too far on the fringes of the right wing or whatever, 
there's problems to be had there because you know, that, those are the things that, that drive your every decision and behavior and everything like that. If you can get in the sweet spot where you know you stand out above you know the, most of the people, whatever, but you're not you know out on the fringe uh, and being uh, totally dominated and uh, by by that sort of thing. Uh, that's really what we look at. So we look we look for what really motivates people, and you know it is hardwired. But at the same point in time, it can change over time because, as you know, it's like you know when you have kids. I mean, what your priorities change and your values change, and sure. uh, as you as you age, most people tend to mellow out a little bit, or uh, you know they think a little differently. You know, hopefully because of their life experiences than they did when they were younger, and you know so life stages plays a, a large role in that those motivations. But you really have to take a look at what motivates them, and that goes back to that family, you know, pets and bucket list and, uh, you know, what their favorite things are. Yeah, my favorite thing, yeah, I love the vacation in Paris. I love to ride my bike long distances. I love, love to drive my Tesla. I love, you know, those, you know, the, the, those, those are sometimes material things. Sometimes they're not, obviously, they're, you know, they're, you know they're their spouse and your kids and your pets uh, and, and things of like that and, and coworkers and the like and your friends. Um, but it really depends on really what motivates you the most. And uh, there is a way, you know, there are ways that you can ask certain questions and actually uh, decipher that information. And knowing that, I think, is probably the most important thing. So I'm, I'm out there. I've got a company. I've got 10 sales guys, and my business is dependent on sales. And like, I guess, all managers, they always think that the sales managers, prob- the sales people probably aren't producing enough. Um, how does somebody... At what point does somebody hire sales fuel and how does the process work? And if I'm listening to that this now, I say, yeah, that's all right for a big company, but I can't afford it. So what sort, mm-hmm. of, what sort of costs are you looking at? How does it work? Yeah, that, that's a great question because actually our sweet spot is like normally when you have a small company that, that, that is now emerging, uh, whether they've gotten a nice round of funding or they've really hit it big on an idea or they've gotten some publicity, phones ringing off the hook, and now all of a sudden it's like they can't just do sales based off of, okay, yeah, I got Bob and Judy over there, and they I don't know how they sell. They just do it, and they do it two totally different ways, and now all of a sudden I have to ramp up and I have to hire five more salespeople or 10 more salespeople or 20 more salespeople. Well, now I need a sales methodology and now I need a, a system then I can't just go by off of having one sales manager you know, to lead two or three people uh, willy-nilly uh, based on what he or she thinks is, is right at the time you need to have a structured process you need to have a methodology and you need to have everybody singing off the same songbook sure and uh, you have to be able to report on that you have to help be able to hold people accountable so there are systems processes and procedures that have to be, be put in place that's the time when people typically reach out to us at sales fuel and, and where we can help the most uh, yeah we do help uh, have helped some of the largest media companies in the co- in the country with our ad mall product but you know with our sales fuel coach product for example we find that we have a different market there where it's like it's really the emerging business that you know that start off small and they made it past those three years where you know you mentioned a 98 percent figure I think the number is close to 90 percent don't make it in three years yeah that's right. and uh, if the 10 percent that, that make it past that or are those the people that end up being a sales fuel coach clients right so you would you would come and i'd interview with you i'm i'm the ceo of the company i interview mm-hmm. I, I interview with you you have a look at the company you'll look at how the sales team works and then do you recommend how you would 
propose taking them to the next level? Is that, is that how it works? Yeah, that, that is one way in which we do it. If there's a situation where we where we feel like we can't help or whatever, we have to tell you that as well. Sure. But, uh, yeah, that's how the process starts. And, uh, you know, so it, it, there has to be a methodology in place. There has to be a transformation that, that's made. Sometimes it's with technology that uh, you're doing sure. things, uh, you know, using uh, – homegrown software on your computer or actually no software <laughs> no specific yes. software on your computer everyone's using something different and uh, you know, we, can't, we come in and, and we analyze that we compare it to the best practices of sales organizations across, across the uh, United States Canada and worldwide and uh, you know, th- then we, we will make a recommendation uh, and probably give you th- two or three different recommendations then based off of uh, your, you know, how aggressive you want to be and, uh, or you know, what, you're, what you want to do at that point in time you know, it's really more about uh, I, one of the things I've learned the hard way, Bob, is that it's in, in sales. It's not about trying to uh, sell people what they need. Uh, you know, I like to say it's like, well, when it comes to, it's when it's lunchtime, I need a salad, but I really want to eat a donut. So guess what I'm eating for lunch? I'm, eating, I'm having a donut. So, uh, yeah, so you really have to sell them what they want. And it's like, do they want to achieve this particular goal now or can they achieve it over three years? Is that okay? Or, you know, personally, what are they getting out of it? So we, we ask a lot of questions. And we do a lot of listening, and then we'll do a lot of analysis, and, and we'll pull out a lot of data and uh, do a lot of comparisons between there and, and, and uh, give our best advice at that point in time. And, uh, you know, there are certain tools, naturally, that you may benefit from. Uh, we have an intelligence tool called Sales Shield Local, which is for selling to, to SMBs, SMEs uh, across the United States, Sales Shield Coach. And then if you have a sales staff that, uh, let's say, they've received training, uh, we help them out with, with the, reinforcing that training and making that sustainable so that they can apply it and actually get better every single day. And that really starts with, though, just as we would do with you as a CEO in this situation, we also do it with your sales staff and the fact that we have to uncover uh, really what keeps your sales staff from selling more and what keeps them from getting to the next level. And th- there are assessments that we do and other analysis that we do that, that where we determine that. And then that really helps, depending on what your goal and uh, your sense of urgency is and also then the sales staff that you already have and the sales staff that that you want to be able to hire uh, we match all those things up wherever and and we will give you a recommendation based on that so a a sales manager of a group of say 10 people really needs to be a good psychologist don't they because I I know I've been involved quite a bit with sport and you find in a football team um, in, depending on the sport, in some sports, every player is treated mm-hmm. differently, motivated differently. They have different motivation coaches for different yep. players because of their personality. So you mm-hmm. really, to be a, a sales manager, you really need to be quite a psychologist, don't you? Well, and the other thing I, I would recommend there is when you think of coach, don't think of a high school football coach that can go in and give a you know a rip roaring halftime speech, or uh, you know, or, or you know, or a college football coach or something like that. Think, think of professional. When you have a lot of big egos that you've got to manage, and you're absolutely right, everybody's different. They all have different motivations. They all have different added, different numbers in their head about themselves, different attitude levels, uh, different levels of trust, and you know, you have to first 
know what that is. Otherwise, it's walking through a landmine or, or a minefield, actually. Yeah. So you have, to, you have to know that first and you have to manage to that. And so, yes, it's like it is, it, is, it is okay to manage people differently because people need to be managed differently. And people are at different stages of their life and they have different goals and different values and that sort of thing. And quite frankly, uh, you're not doing your job if you try to manage everybody the same. Yeah. That just doesn't work when you're managing professionals. Lee, I'm running out of time, but just quickly, what is adaptive sales coaching? So adaptive sales coaching, what the, this is exactly what we do is we try to learn all about the salesperson as people. Uh, we take a look at their behavioral biases. We take a look at their, their, their motivations. We take a look at their sales skills. Their people skills is the number one thing that, 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 that a lot of people overlook. Uh, and so we, we, take a, we take a look at that, the skills of technology, and we analyze then skill gaps based off of the type of sales role that they have. And uh, you know, we look at what, what, where their skills and where their levels should be and compare that to where they are. And so the difference between those two are the skill gaps. And from that then, instead of putting everybody then through additional classroom training, because they've already received that, hopefully, uh, you know, instead of doing that then, what we do is that uh, adaptive sales coach is we, we make the sales coaching all about what's relevant to them and what their needs are uh, to be able to develop themselves into better salespeople. And so, in some cases, better people. Right. And so, the, that's where the adaptive part comes in because it's based off of this term called adaptive learning. And uh, so, we, we apply that to sales coaching and we find that to be a heck of a lot more effective than, than, you know, than coaching everybody the same way or, just, or coaching uh, you know, just based on the whim of the day. Yeah, I'm not, I can understand that. Lee, thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, to contact Lee and to find out more about Sales Fuel, you can connect with Sales Fuel on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Vimeo, or you can visit salesfuel.com. That's salesfuel.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show. You're listening to Voice America Business Network, and we're broadcasting day across the world from Hollywood Boulevard, California, and this is where technology meets entertainment. Now, there appears to be a new scam in town, cannabis, cannabis, can't even say it, cannabis DNA tests. For those multitudes of cannabis devotees, it probably seems like a pretty good idea after a few joints at three o'clock in the morning. It claims that it takes five minutes for an algorithm to analyze your DNA and identify 16 personalized strains of weed to suit your DNA. And they pick these 16 personal strains of weed out of more than 10,000 strains that are out there. 
So you provide your raw genetic data to a platform called Strain Genie, which uses your DNA to find the right cannabis products out of 10,000 just for you. And the first thing you get is a 19-page cannabis health report, which, for example, can inform you that at some time in the future, you're at risk for Alzheimer's, for example. It then recommends that you smoke some purple bubba to fortify your memory. <laughs> there is obviously one idiot born every minute. Now, piggybacking on the success of popular genealogy tests like 23andMe and Ancestry DNA, the DNA market offers gene-driven insights applicable to almost every facet of life. There are DNA tests, weed, marijuana, DNA tests, and they can help you do almost anything. There are DNA tests that help you to find the right roommate or identify what skincare regimes you should use. These DNA tests will customise your nutrient intake. They'll even identify what sports your child will excel at. <laughs> and they'll determine how good you are at skiing. What a crock. Now, any intelligent person would ask the question, how reliable are these claims? Well, some years ago, Nico Regenti and some fellow PhDs launched a platform called Woestalk that collects data on thousands of marijuana strains, asks users to fill out a medical questionnaire, then enlists an algorithm to intelligently recommend the right strains of marijuana for the right people. So their next iteration was Strain Genie, the world's first personal cannabis DNA test. So with more than 10,000 strains of marijuana on the market, each with a different composition of, composition of cannabinoids like TCH and CBD and terpenes, which are organic compounds. So when we consume cannabis, these compounds interact with our endocannabinoid system. Gee, these words are hard. A complex network of receptors that impact things like our appetite, our mood, our memory, and our pain sensation. Now, most experts say the link between DNA and weed is <laughs> really undefined. But Strange Genie's DNA test supposedly works by analysing 150 SNPs, which are genetic variations in our DNA that are in some way or form connected to academic research on the effects certain cannabinoids and terpenes have on medical conditions, memory, physical activity, etc. Now, information is drawn from several dozen research papers that Strange Genie have identified, and these papers are supposedly carefully selected. They're so well selected that 
for example, one is a study published in an alternative medicine medicine journal that was described as an unethical scam and absolute complete rubbish by one of its founding editors. So the 19-page report you receive breaks down weed strains into six categories based on their primary effects on most people, chill, medicate, active, sleep, energize, and create. Then according to your genetic makeup, it recommends the best suited weed in appropriate categories. So there are entire platforms dedicated to hosting DNA apps, and for a one-time fee of 80 bucks, Helix will sequence your exome, which is a 22,000-gene portion of your genome, store your data in the cloud, and allow you to purchase the variety of tests that give you unique insight into your health, wellness, and lifestyle. Eric Topol, a leading geneticist and professor of genomics at the Scripps Research Institute, says it's pseudoscience, complete and utter, utter nothing. The niche DNA test boom's got another elephant in the room, privacy concerns. What happens when these companies go broke and they've got your DNA and they've got everything about you? Do you really, really want Amazon or Facebook or Google to take them over? I doubt it. Now, one Harvard-trained geneticist said, these tests are exactly like toilets. They collect DNA, but essentially they're full of shit. Remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. And if you're always trying to be normal, you'll always be boring and you'll never know how amazing you can be. So I hope you can join me again next Tuesday when I'll again be broadcasting across the world from our studios in Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. In the meanwhile, have a great week. Continue to be successful because the alternative to success really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.